Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team-by-team, division-by-division season previews with the Green Bay Packers. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this is your first time listening to us and you're just a Packers fan, every week during the regular season, we have a Thursday preview show where we break down each matchup from a fantasy and betting perspective. And then on that following Tuesday, after we get a chance to watch all the games, we'll do a recap show and tell you what we saw in each and every game. I do all of that with the one and only Mr. Parker Hurley Parks. How you doing, bud? Yeah, doing well. Uh, ready for the Green Bay Packers, a team that you know had an offseason of drama, which usually doesn't happen up north in Green Bay. So new head coach, new regime, same quarterback. Going to be interesting to see how they bounce back from a down year. Yeah, Porks, and like you mentioned, Mike McCarthy ended up moving on. Um, they hired Matt LaFleur as head coach. He spent 2017 as a Rams offense coordinator under Sean McVay and then left to be the play caller and OC for the Titans and Rabel this past season, um, but with Mariota's injuries, you know, that offense really never got, we never really got to see what it was, but um, he also coached uh, with Kyle Shanahan as quarterbacks coach in Atlanta from 15 to 16, so the Packers um, front office is really banking on, you know, that what worked for those two guys will work for him. Um, Mike Pettin stayed on as the team's DC, and they hired ex-Jags OC Nathaniel Hackett as an offensive coordinator, so he'll help out on that side of the ball. How do you feel about those moves? Yeah, they're going to be really interesting. And like you said, um, everybody's going to talk about LaFleur's you know, 2018 season with the Tennessee Titans. He really has just been an assistant coach, whether it be behind Kyle Shanahan for a while or McVay. And we're going to talk about, I kind of see him as more of, everyone says, you know, oh, once you shake Sean McVay's hand, you get a job. A lot of these coaches similarly, you know, have a Shanahan connection and almost um, some of their, uh, you know, system stems from more Shanahan because you could argue that some of McVay's stuff is just kind of a, you know, he's just kind of branching off of what Shanahan does anyway. So um, you do kind of have to go back to that, but you, like I said about his 2018 season, um, Marcus Mariota pinched his nerve in week one. Delaney Walker um, tore his ACL and ended, ended his season in week one. And then Derrick Henry had knee injuries. Corey Davis had some injuries, and uh, they really didn't have another receiver step up aside from that. So you can blame what he did in terms of his play calling, but you can also blame the personnel because he wanted to use tight end a lot in his offense. And like I said, if you go back to the Shanahan offense and how they motion with tight ends and how they run outside zone. And I think, you know, they're going to go into that outside zone, you know, stretch running uh, concepts and everything. I just don't think that he had the personnel in Tennessee. And when you have a quarterback who can't necessarily throw the ball or doesn't have feeling in his arm, and then your backup's Blaine Gabbert, um, their offensive philosophy was we need to shorten these games. So, of course, you're not going to see what you would expect to see from a McVay or a Shanahan-type offense. And that is where LaFleur kind of gets this new life with Aaron Rodgers. So, I'm willing to give him a new chance and, you know, kind of see. But the big question here, and as we're going to get into the quarterback, is, you know, how he meshes with the quarterback. Because it's really almost a personality thing to where, you know, are these two conceptually going to get on the same path? And... Um, you know, as I'm saying with the quarterback, you know, the Mike McCarthy drama and whoever side you want to take on it, um, I tend to, you know, see it on both sides, but um, you do have to say that, 
Yes, McCarthy didn't get creative. Yes, Aaron Rodgers probably never had that respect for him. Like it said in that article, um, he said, you know, Mike McCarthy came from San Francisco where they drafted Alex Smith over him. And he probably didn't have respect for Mike McCarthy from that very start of, you know, who he was hired to coach. And those two never really gelled with each other. So I think it's a little bit of the play calling, a little bit of Rodgers um, going off on his own. And now it's a question of, you know, you have a 39-year-old LaFleur who his only real, you know, resume of calling plays, it didn't go well. You know, can't, is he go, going to get overpowered by, you know, Aaron Rodgers who... At this point, you know, you really can't tell him anything. You know, he seems to have the franchise. Um, at least, you know, he won a, a power struggle between him and Mike McCarthy. And he signed for, you know, the next five or six years. And you can't necessarily, you know, find a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So he probably has more control than a guy like LaFleur in terms of what this offense is going to be. So that's where it gets interesting. Because how, how do the personalities mix? Um, LaFleur has to look at it as, you know, he has his quarterback. He has a chance to open up his offense. How much of that is Aaron Rodgers going to buy into? You know, that's that's where, you know, this team is almost more off of the field. You have to look into um, between that relationship than you even have to on the field at this point. You know, obviously when, when we get to week one, we're going to start looking and seeing what they do on the field. But, yeah, right now it's, it's a lot of, you know, trying to understand the relationship. Yeah, Parks, and like you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers is still the guy there. He'll be backed up by Deshaun Kaiser again. Um, you kind of touched on the dynamic with LaFleur, but how would you play Aaron Rodgers in terms of fantasy? Especially for fantasy, the thing with him is that, you know, week one, I've talked about on the Bears podcast, Khalil Mack comes in um, pretty much, you know, just raw, and um, they get after Aaron Rodgers, and he basically broke his leg. Um, or fractured his fibula. It's like pretty much the same, you know, idea. But nonetheless, he played on that. Didn't miss a single game, and you know, <laughs> he was injured the entire time. You would obviously have to assume that. So, yes, he had his career worst seasons. Yes, personality-wise, him and Mike McCarthy got into it. Um, you saw the thing with Aaron Rodgers was, um, and this could go back to whether it be McCarthy or his injury, um, led the league in throwaways by a long shot. You know, whether or not he's saying, I can't, you know, limp around and create, I'm just throwing the ball away, or whether he's saying, this play sucks, I'm throwing the ball away. You know, you could kind of spin it either way based on a lot of the things that you're hearing and seeing, but led the league in throwaways, just didn't really push the football down the field, um, you know, wasn't really testing too much, and the offense was just completely stagnant because he was kind of just letting it kind of be stagnant, and McCarthy, you know, it was just such an awkward relationship. So you have to walk into this season saying, that he's completely healthy, and despite the fact that he was, you know, limping around, leading the league in throwaways, you know, he had two interceptions because um, he absolutely was not forcing the football into, you know, any traffic whatsoever. Um, you know, he was taking what was being given and, you know, just running McCarthy's plays and everything like that. He still had, what, 4,400 yards and 25 touchdowns, um, injured, throwing the football away, not really trying too hard. So you have to look at Rodgers and say, he's still going to put up stats. You know, he's still going to put up 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns is a baseline for him. And it's just, what does he do on top of that? So uh, I think he finished as like a quarterback seven. I have him around that quarterback seven range. And I started off a lot lower on him than that. And, you know, just like I said, going back through the stats and going back through the game logs, you're saying no matter what he's going to create, it's just, you know, is he going to be that guy who can, um, you know, be efficient with that less interceptions while continually driving the football down the football field. And you wonder if they're going to run the football a little bit more. But 
Um, I do. I don't really go to Rodgers too much because I think he gets drafted as like he's you know still the second or third quarterback. And I mean, I don't knock it, but um, the last two seasons he's played seven games, and then he played through a broken leg, and now he's 35 years old. And when you add in the drama in the coordinator, you know, the new coordinator, it's just for me. And I've talked about it on all these podcasts. There's like 20 quarterbacks in this pool of quarterbacks that you can go for. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, if you want to take risks, I'm taking risks way later in the draft on players who have equally high ceilings. You know, it's just, you know, almost similarly, you know, you definitely Rodgers has a higher floor. But like I said, the fact that he, he has enough risks around him to where um, other quarterbacks, you know, like a guy like Baker Mayfield, I just think he has less risks overall than a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So I would take Baker Mayfield over Aaron Rodgers, just kind of an example there. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a bad season. I don't think he's a bad quarterback like a lot of people are saying. I just think that um, he was hurt last season. He was in a bad situation with his offense. He was calling his own plays. And we're going to talk about guys like Valdez Scantling was in a situation where um, he didn't know because the coaches were benching him for, you know, not running the right plays, and he was running Rodgers' plays. But Rodgers wouldn't throw it to him unless he ran his plays. You know, so that's where it was uh, It was such an awkward dynamic. And that's where I keep going back to. You can watch as much as you want from Rodgers last season, but the context of all the, you know, awkwardness around it um, it's it's hard to project at this point. Yeah, Parks, I feel like Rodgers is going to get drafted a little higher just based off name value. Like you said, how you take Baker over him, I'd probably do the same. But, yeah, you're probably going to miss out on Rodgers then if that's how you have them ranked. Um, but we can move on to the running backs here. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are still here. Dexter Williams from Notre Dame gets drafted at 194 overall. Parks, how do you see his backfield playing out? Right. It's worth noting, like we said, back to the um, LaFleur thing. And one of the things that LaFleur has always been at least noted with to some regard, um, you know, one quarterbacks, but also the ground game um, going back to his time with Shanahan, um, you know, all the way back in Atlanta and then going, you know, with Todd Gurley and then going with, uh, you know, what Tennessee did a ton. And like I said, I think it has to do with, well, your quarterback can't throw the football, but they did run the football. And by the end of the season, we're running the football pretty efficiently. You know, LaFleur was starting to figure it out, and he kept them in games by his ability to shorten games, but also, you know, grind out first downs. So you go back to the Shanahan coaching tree. They're going to run the outside zone. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking about, because Aaron Jones is obviously, um, you know, the fantasy player to look into, and his situation is interesting because there's one of two ways to look at it. You could look at it in the positive light of, you know, every time he touches the ball, he's been efficient with it. He catches passes. Um, he has that ability to where in that outside zone, he can be patient as he kind of stretches to the outside, pick his hole and then burst to the, um, you know, burst through the hole. And then with it, with that burst, he has big playability to, you know, stretch everything like that. So Aaron Jones could be looked at as, you know, a great fantasy asset. And potentially when you look into, you know, Jamal Williams, the backup, like you said, Dexter Williams, uh, sixth round pick, the backup, Trey Carson. Um, even a guy like Darren Hall is, uh, I think he's, he, they just signed him who's bounced around as a UDFA are backup players, you know, so it could be a situation where this is Jones's backfield and he's in a situation where they have a good offensive line that we're going to get to. And he also has a head coach who, despite the fact that he has Rogers does have, you know, he knows how to run the football f efficiently and he will expose some of Aaron Jones's, you know, best traits. So I, I definitely like Aaron Jones in fantasy and I can see that ability that I think it's his third NFL season now, he would take that step forward 
um, in a good situation for him and be efficient. Also, he catches the football out of the backfield. Um, my thing with that is that going back to whether it be um, Shanahan with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, or um, and you could even talk about McVay now. They drafted a running back because they want to do you know two running backs a little bit more, and he just hasn't had the personnel. Um, but then him with Tennessee, they had Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. And what they were looking to do was, you know, you have your big, you know, whether it be Derrick Henry or Devontae Freeman were basically in the same role of this offensive scheme to where um, they would run the stretch zone, but they're running more power plays. They're converting more third and twos. You know, they're the first and 10 back. And then you have the Tevin Coleman or the Deion Lewis, who is the change of pace back, the guy that we can motion into the slot um, and matchup identify because we can have two um, running backs on the field. Um, we have our power player and then we could, you know, we could run power with both of them as, you know, they're both sidecars or we motion Tevin Coleman into the slot or we motion Deion Lewis into the slot and we can, you know, figure things out from there. We can run screens with them. We can run jet sweeps with them. We can do a lot of different things with them. Um, that's where I'm, you know, looking at this depth chart and saying, if, if he wanted to do that, you know, there's a potential where he just says, you know what, screw it. Aaron Jones is the best running back. We're going to just grind Aaron Jones. And then, you know, he, he lives up to his draft costs and probably more, you know, he should be, um, you know, a second round pick, maybe even a late first round pick if he does get all of this, you know, the goal line work that I keep thinking. But like I said, I think his his staple is, yes, the outside zone and Jones is going to explode in the outside zone and he's still going to be worth his draft cost at like the third round. Um, but in that outside zone, I think he, he would be more in that Tevin Coleman role where he might catch a few more passes, but that means like 10 to 15 carries instead of like 20 to 25 carries. And um, it also means he's going to be reduced on his goal line work and he's going to be reduced on um, some first down passing work. So you would look into, um, could it be Jamal? And, you know, basically in fantasy, that is what drives me to, um, I take Marlon Mack over him. Um, and that's in carry on Johnson too. And we're going to talk about it in the Detroit lions podcast that I'm, I know that carry on Johnson is going to get 20 to 25 touches every single week. Um, in my opinion, for sure. And, um, I think that they're going to, you know, if he could make them equally as efficient, maybe you do get a little more boom with Jones, but I think you also could get a little more bust where every once in a while, um, you know, he doesn't really have it on the ground. He only gets like 10 carries on the ground, three or four catches. And that's, you know, all he's kind of doing for that game. Um, whereas, like I said, with a guy like Carryon Johnson, you know you're getting fed. And with Marlon Mack, if you look at the way the Colts used him, um, they're going to use him in the goal line automatically, and he has the upside for 20 to 25 carries based on the way that they used him to end last season, the way that LaFleur would typically use his running backs. He just isn't going to use Jones as much. And um, like I said, some people might see it as, no, LaFleur's too smart. He's going to put the best player in there um, potentially, but I think that the other thing with Aaron Jones is that he was—he's been hurt often. He's not—he's under 220 pounds. He's a little bit undersized. Like I said, he's in more of that Tevin Coleman role, and he's been injured. He's never had a heavy workload. Um, he did have a heavy workload at UTEP, but a lot of it was pass catching as well. And that's where I go back to—if you put him in that Tevin Coleman role, motion him into the slot, then he's—you know—he's going to catch passes. He's going to explode in the backfield. So um, they still would need a power player. Um, also, Aaron Jones was suspended for four games last season, and he wasn't drafted by, you know, obviously LaFleur didn't draft him. LaFleur, whether it be a sixth-round pick, 194th overall, did draft Dexter Williams, um, who is, he is a fit for the outside zone. 
because Williams is a player who spent um, a lot of his time behind Josh Adams, who was on the Phillies last season, or the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, but he was on them last season, and he spent a lot of his time behind him at Notre Dame. Dexter Williams, basically for him, it's maturity issues, um, physicality issues, sometimes he'll shy away from contact, but you, what you have is he's 220 pounds, so he's physically capable, and he has an explosive uh, burst to where when he's in that outside zone, he can take it to that, you know, outside the tackles and then he can um, burst, you know, right up the field. But also where Aaron Jones typically cannot, he can go straight between, you know, right behind the center. And, you know, that's some goal line work and that's potential to be, you know, their goal line back. I think that because um, the issue is that he's been struggling uh, catching passes in, uh, in camp so far, but I don't think that his role, because... I think Aaron Jones is going to take all the pass catching work and then he's going to obviously get some of, you know, the running back work. I think Williams will get a lot of the early down goal line, third uh, third down conversion work. Um, he has to beat out Jamal Williams and I don't think he has beat out Jamal Williams. Uh, Jamal Williams is, you know, he's a fine, satisfactory player to where, you know, he's a strong pass protector. He doesn't have terrible hands. And he has pretty good straightaway vision. He'll take what's given. He can convert third and twos and fourth and goals and everything like that. It's just he really doesn't have much more to him. So that's where I look back and say that they drafted Dexter Williams. So they have that commitment to him that they don't even necessarily have an Aaron Jones. Um, and they have the fact that he's the better fit for the scheme than Jamal Williams, has more burst than Jamal Williams. And with his, you know, the power of Dexter Williams and the, you know, lightning of Aaron Jones, they have some of that Freeman-Tevin Coleman mix, which is what I think they would want to do. So that's where I think Aaron Jones, like I said, is behind Marlon Mack and on Johnson. Dexter Williams, sometimes you could take a shot on him late. I also think Trey Carson and Darren Hall. I'm starting to look into Darren Hall and uh, because I'm thinking that if Dexter Williams can't win that job because of pass catching, I, I don't see him, I don't see LaFleur committing to one running back. Um the way that, they, you know, you want with Aaron Jones. I think he wants the mix of some sort of power player between the tackles with the ability to motion Aaron Jones into the slot and matchup identify. So um, that's basically where I stand with them. You know, honestly, at this point, maybe not even drafting any of them, but looking to pick up um, a guy like Dexter Williams or someone on the waiver wire if it, um, you know, if it, if it could work out for him. Yeah, Parks, so moving on to the wide receivers here. Geronimo Allison gets a one-year, $2.8 million contract from them. Randall Cobb is off to the Cowboys. So anyone that listened to us last year, Parks, um, heard you talk about you were on Valdez Scanling and ESB pretty early, so we wouldn't be surprised to see Valdez Scanling make that step this year. Devontae Adams is obviously still the man here, but how do you see this wide receiver core? Yeah, Devontae Adams was a player that um, I kind of, when he was coming out of the draft, I was saying, um, it's Devontae Adams, it's not Derek Carr, you know, buy Devontae Adams, sell Derek Carr. And then about two years down the road, I was saying, maybe I was wrong about that, you know, going back and revisiting it, and, you know, two years later, I'm saying, oh, it was Devontae Adams, it wasn't Derek Carr. Um, and, you know, Devontae Adams really did um, improve his game in a big way, um, especially with his ability to release off the line of scrimmage. But um, he really was, you know, he it took him some time to develop. I think Aaron Rodgers, as you're starting to realize potentially, um, isn't the easiest person to work for or, or you know, work with. Um, you know, went through the adversity and now he's Aaron Rodgers. You know, Rodgers is one of those players where when he doesn't trust you, you know, you're not seeing the football, but when he trusts you, he'll throw it to you. I don't care. You know, three guys are on you. It doesn't matter. I trust you. I'm throwing you the football. Um, that's the type of person that Rodgers is. So that's all of a sudden where Adams is getting peppered with targets. I saw something, um, 
I want to say it was on the ringer. They said that if you took Devontae Adams' worst game of his season last year and you extrapolated it over 16 games, he would have been the seventh best wide receiver statistically in fantasy football. So that that would have been his worst game extrapolated. So, I mean, that's where Devontae Adams um, probably has to be the number one. Uh, I think DeAndre Hopkins is right there with him, but really they're the two safest options in fantasy football because they're going to get peppered with targets and whether they're losing, winning, any situation. And like I said, the floor of him is, you know, well, he drafted him as the number one receiver. He finishes as the number seven receiver, you know, based on, you know, he had his worst game over and over and over again. You know, that's the type of situation where, hey, the worst you could do is the seventh receiver. That's not too bad. Um, so that's where you have to look at him and say, you know, he is the top receiver. Um, I would I would take him, you know, I think it's like ninth overall, I think is where I have him in my list. But hey, hey yeah, I mean, you got a player with his floor is, is solid. His ceiling is Aaron Rodgers. You know, if Aaron Rodgers is back, and he's in this, you know, offense, and all of a sudden, Aaron Jones is providing, you know, a huge spark in, you know, the running game because of his explosive nature, and we're going to talk about some of these other receivers start to take away some of that, you know, like I said, Rodgers will force it to him, and he'll catch passes that are forced to him. Um, all of a sudden, you know, he's not having to catch passes that are forced to him. All of a sudden, he has a lot more separation. Um, then all of a sudden, Devontae Adams is, you know, far and away the top receiver in the NFL, you know, 16 touchdowns is, you know, it's stuff like that isn't crazy for Devontae Adams. So you got the floor, you got the ceiling. Um, like I said, he's a first round pick, Devontae Adams. Um, the question is, you know, who else, who else is going to step up around him? Um, like I said, with Valdez Scantling, and like you said, you know, I was in, you know, looking into him early and often um, with him and ESB. It seems like ESB is fading out a little bit in terms of training camp, and I think you know it's going to be a, a, a question of faith with uh, Aaron Rodgers. You know, does he trust you? And like I said, Valdez Scantling was in a tough spot last season, um, where he, you know, are you running Rodgers' plays? Or are you not? There was, um, I think, he had a huge game about halfway through the season, and then all of a sudden he was running McCarthy's plays, and then you know, three or four games he didn't see the ball very much. Um, the thing with him though is, I think he's going to play across from Rodgers uh, or across from Devonte Adams. So Adams would be that X because, like I said, especially with his releases, um, he'll play on the line of scrimmage, he'll beat press coverage, he'll go over the middle of the field. Um, Marquez Valdez Scantling is like six foot five, runs a four three. Um, he was completely unknown as a college prospect because he doesn't run a route tree and he was injured and um, he runs deep and there aren't many college quarterbacks, let alone where he was coming from that could hit him deep down the football field. The thing with Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's willing to take those shots. And um, like I said, he did start to develop some faith in Valdez Scantling and he talks about Valdez Scantling like Valdez Scantling's the number two. So MVS is the number two. He's the outside threat. Um, He's a pretty good bet in like the eighth round um, because he's going to take, you know, in the, in those shootout games where Aaron Rodgers is pushing the football deep down the field, MVS is going to be the guy, and he's pretty efficient catching that deep down the field. So you have MVS deep down the field. You have Adams on the other side, the slot guy. It's looking like it's going to be Geronimo Allison. Um, Geronimo Allison in his, uh, I think it's his fourth NFL season, he has a concussion issue, a hamstring issue, um, and a groin issue that he's dealt with in his career. But Aaron Rodgers has faith in him, so all of a sudden he gets bumped up because Aaron Rodgers trusts him. I think the ceiling of Geronimo Allison, and I think he gets overdrafted for sure in my opinion, because um, the ceiling for him and to me is like a guy like Muhammad Sunu, where um, Julio Jones and Devontae Adams, right? You know, they're both in the same tier as fantasy players. Um, you know, Valdez, Scantling, and Calvin Ridley, you know, some secondary options with some speed in their second season. 
you know, to me, Geronimo Allison is just the Muhammad Sanu. And I mean, you could go back to um, LaFleur was, you know, in that Atlanta offense. And um, he profiles similarly to Muhammad Sanu, has the same, you know, size uh, and speed metrics and everything like that. Um, He's just going to play that similar role. I would like for them to put ESB in the slot because he has much more size and athleticism and could use, um, could be a little bit better after the catch. It's just like I said, Aaron Rodgers trusts Allison. So Allison gets overdrafted because I would take Sanu over Allison and they're like, you know, they're like six rounds apart because everyone's saying, oh, he's the slot guy in, uh, in Green Bay, oh, he's, you know, I th- I just think Valdez Scantling, when they go two wide receivers, Valdez Scantling's the number two wide receiver. And um, when they have that second running back on the field and they motion Jones into the slot, it's going to be Jones in the slot, Valdez Scantling, and Adams. And as we're going to get into with the tight ends, they're going to run two tight ends a ton. It's a staple of not only Shanahan, but LaFleur back to Tennessee. So I don't, yes, he's going to be the number three receiver. I don't think they're going to run three receiver enough. I don't think... I think he's being overdrafted. Like I said, I mean, I would take him if he was d- close to where Sanu's getting drafted, but he's not. So um, Jake Kumaro seems to be um, one of those people that's making St. Brown expendable. He's um, typically playing on the outside, would probably be Valdez Scantling's backup, and then Jamon Moore would probably be Devontae Adams' backup. So then, yeah, like I said, ESB is pretty much... Allison's backup. So they have, you know, six receivers. They all pretty much have their roles. Um, I like Adams and Valdez Scantling a lot. I think Allison, because I like Valdez Scantling, is is the overdrafted one. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it for for that group. Yeah, Parks going to the tight ends. Uh, Jimmy Graham is still there. They ended up re-signing for a one-year deal. Mercedes Lewis. They took Chase Sternberger at 75, a guy I know that uh, both of us really like their parks. How do you see the tight end group uh, handing out? Right, um, and Mercedes Lewis is just a pure blocking tight end, and the Packers identified him last season, and they brought him back this year because I think LaFleur wants a blocking tight end so he can run that outside zone. But not only that, he can use motion and everything like that um, to add to his running game to give Rodgers matchup identifiers. So... Uh, Lewis will be a player, but he's going to be the blocking tight end. So Jimmy Graham, what that does is, you know, hey, Jimmy Graham's not blocking. Um, the thing I have with him is, you know, he's he's older at this point. Um, he's in that situation where, you know, it's going to be him. It's going to be a little bit of Allison. It's going to be a little bit of, you know, uh, whether it be Dexter Williams, Jamal Williams are going to be shuffling in. You know, will he get a few goal line touches? Probably, yeah. You know, I think his stat lines, you know, he's an older player who doesn't have physicality. And they drafted Jay Sternberger, um, 75th overall. And I know Sternberger's taking a little bit of time to get going. And um, I think there's potential that he could slot into even the U tight end to where Lewis is your blocker. Whether it be Jimmy Graham or even Robert Tanyan is actually a player who has been um, getting some talk. So he's going to start... Um, and he can go over the middle and has some big plays. So, um, you know, whether it be Tanyan, whether it be Jimmy Graham's going to get a little bit, but also Jay Sternberger, they drafted him in the third round. I think that he has the upside to where he can he can block enough that he's efficient. You know, he's better than Jimmy Graham as a blocker is basically how, he, how you have to put it. Um, and that's where, like I said, he can move and you can put him into the, the uh, H-back role. So that's a situation where, like I said, you have... Um, whether, you know, Dexter Williams, Aaron Jones, Jay Sternberger, you can motion Aaron Jones into the slot and then you can motion Sternberger into the backfield and then you can do different things out of that. So 
Sternberger's ability to move and Tanyan's ability to stretch the field combined with Jimmy Graham has injury issues and he's getting older. Um, I thought they were going to trade Jimmy Graham. I still I still think there's a chance that they could trade Jimmy Graham. Um, but I think that Sternberger, it's taken him some time because he's a rookie. So um, that's where I don't look to any of these guys in fantasy because it's going to be a huge shuffle. Um all four, all four of them, really, because Tanyan's really throwing his hand or uh, his hat in the mix, and then, like I said, Sternberger's going to take time, but they're going to slowly bring him along, and all of that combined with Geronimo Allison, combined with the fact that they have six receivers and want to run two running backs, um, it takes me off Jimmy Graham pretty much altogether, and I think Jimmy Graham, you know, he's towards the end of his career anyway, so I don't really want to be there for you know three catches for thirty yards, and you know you hope one of those three is a touchdown. You know that's not really what I'm looking for, but they have enough to where. Like I said, Lewis makes it all happen with his blocking ability, and then the rest of the players can move around. It does open up Jimmy Graham. It does open up Sternberger. It does open up Tanyan, but they're all going to get little pieces of the pie, you know? Yeah, Parks, and to finish up the offense here, the guys up front that are you know, going to create the holes, and by the time for Rodgers here, um, they agreed to terms with Billy Turner from the Broncos on a four-year, $28 million deal. They re-signed Justin McRae on a one-year deal as an exclusive rights-free agent. Um, they drafted Elton Jenkins, 44th overall from Mississippi State. Um, how do you feel about this group here, Parks? They have a pretty good offensive line, definitely above average. Um, starts with David Bakhtiari, arguably the best left tackle in the NFL. They have Corey Lindsay, who's a pretty solid starting center. So between those two, you at least have your you know start of things. And then, like you said, maybe some pieces start moving around, this and that. But they have their starting left tackle. They have their starting center. Um, Brian Bulaga, you know, uh, he was banged up a little bit last season, was coming back from injury last season, was still, you know, um, pretty good, you know, was one of the better right tackles in the NFL, um, had some penalty issues. He's 30 years old, and when you combine, you know, I think he's, like I said, I, I don't think he's getting back to where, you know, they have the best swing tackles in the NFL. I think uh, Bakhtiari is completely fine, but I don't think, you know, Bulaga will be um, ever get back to his like elite status, but I still think he's definitely a serviceable right tackle in the NFL. And then it's you know how are you going to fill in with your guards? Um, it's looking like it's going to be Lane Taylor and Billy Turner. And um, yeah, Billy Turner had a pretty good season last year. Um, they signed him. It's you know it looks like he should just jump right in. And Lane Taylor, um, you know he's up and down every once in a while, but he's he's good enough to where um, you assume, um, especially because. Last season, they really just were shuffling guys at right guard. So you put in Billy Turner at right guard, and maybe between Lindsey and Turner, you know, Lane Taylor, maybe he is the weakness, but he's still, it's a pretty good group altogether when you go Bakhtiari, Lane Taylor, Lindsey at center, and then you add Billy Turner at right tackle and Bulaga, whether he's, you know, 30 and coming back from injury, potentially could have a pretty good season. And then you have Elton Jenkins is a player who could play uh, center or guard so you know you have depth in that regard to where you really are moving on from a guy like uh, McCray from last season and then Jason Spriggs has played some guard but has also played tackle hasn't lived up to his draft status but um, nonetheless he's a depth you know he was supposed to replace Bulaga like by now and he hasn't done it but nonetheless they have they still have Bulaga and you know luckily for them Bulaga you know has made it this long and they didn't have to resort to Spriggs who has struggled but um, so they have just enough depth to get by. If they do start to get hurt, it's an issue, but they have better depth than, um, you know, especially when you look at the Vikings and the Bears, they have better depth than them. 
Yeah, Parks, and that'll do it for pretty much, you know, the fantasy side of this podcast. But we're going to, you know, shift over to the defense now where where you'll have the most, you know, betting impact and where they were really poor last year. Starting on the uh, defensive line there, Parks, ended up releasing Mike Daniels, but they signed uh, defensive end Dean Lowry a three-year, just a little bit over $20 million extension through 2022 Parks. They drafted Rashawn Gary at 12th overall from Michigan and Kinsley Kiki from Texas A&M at 150. Um, you want to start with the, we can start with the interior guys, Parks, um, ex- exercise the fifth-year option of Kenny Clark. Um, you want to talk about the tackles inside and then we can kick out. Yeah, right, and it's basically, um, and I guess they're going, you know, mainly going to run a three-four. And I think Gary, you know, it's going to get interesting because when you get into what Mike Pettin's going to do, um, he's really, you know, they're going to try something where they're going to play, um, you know, they're going to play some of this modern football or you know, trying to defend modern football. And Pettin's been trying to do it for a little bit. And uh, last season, it really, um, like you said, it fell apart on him mainly due to injuries. And he's going to try and just be extremely versatile. Um, in how he gives looks. So they signed Dean, Dean Lowry, um, who is a pretty underrated 3-4 defensive end, and he's just an interior pass rusher, you know, gives you, what, six to eight sacks every single year, potentially could be that. So he can get upfield a little bit. Kenny Clark is a pure nose tackle who can also, um, you know, penetrate the uh, passer every once in a while. Montrevious Adams is basically, you know, a death nose tackle. And then uh, Kinsley Kiki is another player who, you know, when they go nickel, and it seems like they're going to go nickel a ton because um, Rashawn Gary is where it gets interesting to where, like you said, he's he, he he's like a cross between, you know, is he an interior guy, is he an outside guy? Um, when they drafted him, they said he's an outside linebacker. I think he's wearing a number in the 50s too to where he's an edge pass rusher. But as we're going to get into with the pass rushers, you know, they signed two of them and gave them big money. So... Um, that's where they're going to start mixing up how they show their looks. And like I said, they're going to start preparing for passing. So, um, we'll, I don't know, do you want to talk about Gary with the pass rushers? Yeah, you can do that, Parks. I was just going to you know, touch on where they spent the money this offseason. I mean, pretty much in, in one week, they agreed to terms with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith from the Redskins and Ravens, respectively, on four-year deals each. Preston Smith, $52 million. Zedarius Smith, $66 million. They released Nick Perry, which saved them $3.3 million against the cap. But Dusley behind, $11.1 million in dead money. Clay Matthews is off to the Rams. Um, Parks, how do you feel about these edge guys? Right, because Zedarius Smith and Rashawn Gary is where they kind of become versatile in how they're going to use their guys. So like I said, for the most part, they're going to have Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry are you know, kind of your two defensive linemen who will consistently be on the field to defend the run. And you know, whether it be Adams, whether it be um, Kiki, they have some depth for those guys. And then they're going to just shuffle around them to where, um, you know, the thing with uh, Zedarius Smith is a lot of his pressures were created by stunting him and blitzing him up the middle to where um, a, a lot of the times he would just stand straight over the guard. And it's because he came from the Ravens' defense. And if you go listen to how I talk about the Ravens' defense and their versatility, and they had one of the better game plans for Patrick Mahomes and the Patriots. Um, I think the Patriots you know, showed it first in a Sunday night football game against Mahomes, and then the Ravens did it a little bit, and then the Patriots went back to it in the playoffs. So it obviously, you know, something to look into, but... It's really just like they call it an amoeba defense where everybody's kind of just standing around before the snap and then they could all rush different ways and split in different directions. And Zadarius Smith was a huge beneficiary of that. 
and um, the way that Pettin's talking and the way that everyone's talking about, you know, they're going to go, they're going to run this amoeba defense um, and they're going to have Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark are going to be, you know, their hands in the dirt and everyone else is going to be standing around. And, you know, um, Rashawn Gary is a player that um, I didn't necessarily love his bend around the edge. And I think he's going to, um, on early downs, he'll play on that edge because he can hold up, you know, offensive tackles and play on the edge. But then on these other downs, he's going to stunt him on the inside and he's potentially going to put him, you know, he kind of looks like an inside linebacker just running straight, you know, at the uh, quarterback, just straight up at the quarterback. Um, and then Zadarius Smith is going to do very similar things like I talked about, you know. And then those two can um, stunt, those two stunt inside, you know, Lowry and Clark stunt outside. Um, all of a sudden you have Lowry and Gary on the inside and Preston Smith and Darius Smith on the outside. And all of those guys are running stunts. You know, all of a sudden Gary is running stunts from the inside to the outside. And that's where all of a sudden you say, okay, do they have the pieces yet? I don't know, but like, I'm interested to see what the heck Petten's doing because a lot of people are talking it up. And, um, you know, from Packers camp saying, you know, watch out for this Packers defense. They're going to show a lot of completely different looks. And this is what I'm kind of picturing when I'm seeing these looks because, you know, you pay Zedarius Smith, you know, over his uh, market value, in my opinion. You pay Preston Smith, I think, a fair deal. And then you draft Rashawn Gary 12th overall. And you have all of them playing the same position. You know, that's where I start to say that they're going to get versatile in how they use these people. And bet between the fact that, Smith and Gary are arguably best being used in this regard. Um, that's where it works out perfectly. Like I said, I think Preston Smith is arguably the best in terms of just, you know, straight up defending the edge and, um, you know, dipping around the edge and getting after the quarterback. I think he's actually the best at that. So that is a situation to where you can, you know, you can be versatile with these other three guys and whether they're stunning and doing other things, you kind of have, you know, an edge setter or you have a guy like uh, Kenny Clark who plants his feet in the middle and, you know, everyone, everyone's moving around him and stunning around him, but he's planting his feet in the middle or Preston Smith's planting his feet on the edge and all these other guys, you know, different positions, different alignments and that. And that's where you could potentially, um, and I talked about it on the Bears podcast with Matt Nagy, that Nagy's going to run motion and then he's going to run motion again and then he's going to run motion again and it's going to be about going like playing because he's going to motion a receiver to running back and a running back to receiver and then he's going to motion that receiver from the left side to the right side and then back to the right side and he wants to be versatile and just show and say that we're just standing around and you don't know who's guarding him and whether he's on the left side or the right side we have guys that are going to you know well now our our defensive end on the edge is going to dip out on the right side and now our you know we're blitzing from this side because you motion from that side that's where i keep saying defense is potentially going to be back in it's interesting to see if Patton's going to be able to do it. Um, I don't know if they have, you know, the the players yet, but um, Reggie Gilbert's another, you know, depth player. It's like I said, it's just going to be interesting to see how he works all three of these pass rushers with somewhat different skill sets, but they're they're so invested in all of them is what makes it interesting. Yeah, Parks and the you know the inside backers there are looking at Ty Simmers who they took at two twenty six from TCU. They also have uh, James Crawford, and Blake Martinez has been fun to watch. How do you feel about the guys on the inside? Yeah, the big thing for Blake Martinez has typically just been, you know, um, can, he, can he stay healthy? Um, he typically plays downhill. He's really just been, you know, the overall 
um, you know, the main inside linebacker on this defense. So if Martinez can stay healthy, they're looking pretty good. Um, Kyle Fackrell's an interesting player who I think he's been on the, or he had 10 and a half sacks last season, but he's kind of, you know, because of the players that they, you know, picked up, he's like an inside outside player to where maybe he can get on the field because he can blitz from the inside. He can blitz from the outside. Um, his questions are playing in space. I do think Martinez can blitz. And that's where, you know, I keep going back to all of a sudden Martinez is blitzing and somebody's dropping and it starts to look confusing. Um, my questions are, you know, some of these players in coverage, um, Martinez is easily, you know, the best in coverage. You know, how can these other players um, in terms of their ability to drop into coverage? And then Oren Burks is really, you know, he's supposed to be their space linebacker, their real, you know, run and chase player. He's basically an oversized safety um, my thing with him coming out of the draft was I just didn't think he was physical enough to be a linebacker. You know, like I said, he's truly an oversized safety, and if you want to play enough dime, but I think that you could run at Oren Burks. And um, I think he had injury issues last season. He has shoulder issue issues this season. I just don't think – I think physicality is going to grind this guy down. And it's, I think it's been a thing for him, you know, going back to college. So um, he's injured, you know, already. And then Ty Summers is a player they're talking up. Um, I just didn't, I wasn't necessarily impressed with his college tape. This is where it goes back to, I'm interested to see what Pettin's doing, but I'm not buying into Pettin quite yet because, um, yeah, they're going to mix and match blitzes. And I think they're going to blitz like crazy. It's just, you know, are they going to be able to get beat over the middle of the field? Um, because do they have the talent, you know, other than Blake Martinez? And even Martinez is arguably best in terms of, yeah, they're going to disguise a ton of blitzes. Martinez is one of those guys. Um, everyone else you're saying, and like I said, I mean, Ty Summers is getting talked up. Maybe he can play the dime snaps. Maybe Oren Burke can play the dime snaps. We're going to talk about Josh Jones as a safety who basically is going to play linebacker, but he's requesting a trade. Um, that's where I go back to, you know, I like the idea. I like where they're going. Not quite there yet, though. Yeah, Parkson, to look at the secondary there, um, they did agree to terms with Adrian Amos, formerly of the Bears, on a four-year, $37 million contract. Rashad Breeland is now with the Chiefs, and Kentrell Bryce is with the Buccaneers. But we can start with the corners here, Parks. They drafted Kadar Holman at 185 from Toledo Parks. I still have Jair Alexander, Tremont Williams, Kevin King, Josh Jackson. How do you feel about this group? Right, I talked about it with the uh, Denver Broncos podcast, how I feel that cornerbacks who can not only follow receivers from you know side to side, but can also move into the slot and follow receivers, have to start being bumped up in terms of their value. And that, in my opinion, makes Chris Harris the best cornerback in the NFL because other top outside cornerbacks cannot do that. And that added ability, especially in today's NFL, it just makes him so much more dynamic. Jair Alexander is, um, I think, the same idea, and that's where I think, um, you know, Mike uh, Pettin is going to say, we're going to stick this guy, and he's going to follow, you know, whether it's into the slot, whether it's into the outside, he's going to follow the best receiver, and he's going to, you know, hopefully take him out. He obviously had his ups and downs last season as a rookie, but he played, for the most part, in and out of the slot. Um, he followed big-name receivers around, and he typically showed up You know, when it was time for him to show up. His biggest thing was injuries um, in terms of coming out of the draft, but we kind of saw him as a player who could potentially shadow players. Um, he also doesn't have... He's like 5'11 in terms of size, maybe a little bit under 200 pounds, right around 200 pounds, but nonetheless, you know, 
we're moving to, and I've talked about it before, you know, there's a lot more quick shiftier receivers than there are the big physical receivers. And he can hang with all the quick shifty receivers and he can move into the slot with all these other receivers. So he's a valuable player. And then um, if they could just get, you know, something out of these other guys, um, whether it be Kevin King, you know, they drafted him in the second round. You know, Packers fans hate the fact that um, they missed the, or they traded down from TJ Watt. They're going to take TJ Watt, traded down, took Kevin King instead. And, you know, it <laughs> sucks for them in that situation. But King, you know, if he can get healthy, um, he has the athleticism. He has the length. He would play a lot on the outside. Josh Jackson is a player who they double dipped on cornerbacks after they took Kevin King the year prior, um, just knowing that they need to load up on cornerbacks in this room. Um, but Jackson is a player who was a former receiver, was a zone heavy cornerback, really had some ups and downs last season. So, I mean, you know, King's a former second round pick. It's really a make or break season for him. Josh Jackson's in his second NFL season. Um, hopefully got, you know, his feet wet and everything like that. And then, you know, Jair in the slot, they have some future there. It's just, yeah, I mean, Josh Jackson has been totally raw and Kevin King hasn't taken a step forward since his rookie year. Tremont Williams was playing free safety last year because they were so desperate at safety. And, um, but then they drafted, um, like you said, they put in resources at safety that we're going to get to. So, does Tremont Williams go back to corner? I mean, the reason they put him at safety was if he's at corner, he could get, you know, burnt deep. Um, so that's an issue there. Kadar Hallman, I mean, is a player potentially could play some dime snaps, you know, could potentially mix in for the nickel. If Jair's following guys and he's on the outside and one of King and Jackson, you know, can't move into the slot. Um, you could say maybe, you know, Jackson played a little bit in the slot last year because they just didn't know where to put him really. And, you know, all these shuffling around, it's just, yeah, Jair's a stud. And you're just thinking who else around him is going to step up and, you know, help this secondary. Um, because they could be, you know, if you could follow Jair with different players and Josh Jackson can move into the slot and Kevin King has that outside athleticism and, you know, Josh Jackson's a big player with ball skills, you know, you can see it. It's just neither of King and Jackson have taken any of the steps forward that you could trust yet. Yeah, Parks, and around them out with the, uh, with the safety group here, they ended up, uh, trading up to 21 to take Darnell Savage's safety from Maryland, a guy I know that you really like. So I'll ask you about how you feel he fits in here. And uh, you've seen a ton of Adrian Amos, um, the guy that they run in from the Bears there. How do you think those two are going to play off each other? Yeah, this is the position where I buy big time on the, you know, the fact that if Patton could be like a madman and mix blitzes, and like I said, with those outside presences, or if Jair could, you know, shut guys down and they can shift coverages, um, it could be really electric, you know. Um, the best part about Savage and Amos is that they're going to play off of each other really well, just based off of, you can tell, um, they're both combination safeties, so they can play too high, single high, in the box, everything like that. And that goes back to, I think Patton wants to, push these guys in the box and just straight up like we're blitzing we're playing man we don't even have a free safety you know one of savage or amos will obviously you know drop a little bit or like i said they'll play some too high but these guys are going to be within five ten yards of the line of scrimmage and both of them are threats to blitz and both of them are really talented blitzers so um that's where it gets really fascinating with you know i think he's going to sell out a ton in terms of you know his deep field coverage because he wants to mix blitzes. He wants quarterbacks to feel like they have to get the ball out of their hands quickly. Not, you know, well, I'm getting the ball out of my hands quickly because, you know, you're playing off coverage. You're worried about getting burnt deep, everything like that. He's going to push these guys into the boxes. Really how I see it. 
because, I mean, that's where Savage was really at his best. You know, and he's a little bit undersized, so, you know, handling the box can be an issue. But his uh, his quick twitch and ability to break on the football, it's, you know, that's where I keep going back to. They want to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly because he doesn't know what he's seeing up front. And then they want a guy like Savage to break on the ball quickly. And then a guy like Amos, um, he's just like the most sound tackler. He doesn't miss any tackles. Um, he doesn't really make plays, but Savage is your playmaker. So Savage is going to attack the football. Amos is always going to be in the right spot. He's going to blitz. He's going to defend the run. He's going to defend um, bigger tight ends where Savage can take the sh you know shorter, quicker running backs. And it's all just going to be, it's really going to be in the box. Um, that's where I go back to, you know, are the linebackers going to potentially get torched? Maybe. Are the cornerbacks going to get beat deep? Maybe. Is he going to, you know, is uh, Petten going to dial up sacks and interceptions? Um, there's a big chance that he could. Um, and it's, you know, it, it comes down to, I mean, how smart do you think Mike Petten is too? You know, <laughs> that also, you know, how much are you buying that juice? Um, Josh Jones, is, like I said, is a player who um, drafted him to replace Morgan Burnett. Then they, you know, moved on from Burnett and Jones wasn't ready for it. That's why they had to go pay for Amos, draft Darnell Savage. Like I said, Jones, maybe he's a dime linebacker, but he's requesting a trade. And, um, you know, he's been injured his whole time. So don't have the best depth at safety. And that's why they do, you know, take Savage so high and he's going to jump in and start. But I really like the fit Savage and Amos. That could be something for years to come. Yeah, Parks, like looking at their team as a whole, I really like what they did in the offseason in terms of like, you know, investing in assets, especially a safety group, you know, what they did out on the edge. Um, just finding the right fit for Rashawn Gary there, you know, also Elton Jenkins, you know, the center of the future. We like Jay Sternberger. Um, so I like what they did in this offseason, Parks. How do you feel about over nine wins? Uh, pretty juiced up, minus 145. So you would probably rather play nine and a half if you'd like the over, but you can get the under nine wins of plus money. Would you do anything on this or would you – like we mentioned on the Bears and Vikings podcast, you can get them right about 2-1 to one to win the division. Right, it is because at this point, and like I said on both of those podcasts, you'll have to you know, message me before the start of the season because at this point I have all three of them just sitting at you know 10 wins and saying, you know, well, the Bears with Trubisky and I don't really like their depth. The Packers, like I kind of said about, won their defense to the relationship of OC and quarterback. And then the Vikings um, really, you know, in terms of their offensive line, their defense is aging a little bit and Cousins. They all have just enough questions, but I also like all of their rosters and I'm really interested um, I'm interested to see what the Vikings are doing in terms of um, how they run the football on offense. I'm interested to see, you know, Nagy and Trubisky year two. And then I really, you know, Mike Pettin in this defense. I'm really interested. I think Rodgers will be able to move the football. And they invested in, um, like you said, with Gary, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage. These are key starters. Jair Alexander is entering year two. You know, Josh Jackson's entering year two. Kevin King's entering year three. These are all key starters on this defense. Um, how quickly is it going to gel? How much is it going to come together? You know, to, for me, there's not enough wiggle room in that division to where, you know, are the Vikings, you know, if the Vikings and Bears win nine and the Packers win 10, could I see it? Yeah. Could I see the Vikings win 10, the Bears and Packers win nine, you know, all three of them potentially win 10. I have them all around nine to 10 wins. I think, you know, what you would do is just pick your favorite to win the division and it's at plus odds no matter what. And I wouldn't mess with the over or under on any of them at this point because I just see them at nine to 10 wins with little wiggle room, um, you know, to cash that over ticket. Yeah, Parks, and I'll do it for the Packers here. We'll move on to wrap up the uh, NFC North there at the Lions next time, so we'll catch you guys then.